Part of the deal was in order to enter the competition, you had to bring a case of large bottles of beer. I mean, a case of 12 of the big pop bottles that for, you know, they're 28 ounces or so. <laughs> so there was lots of beer. <laughs> it's just mind-boggling. Howdy, and welcome again to my podcast, What's the Stories That Need to Be Told? Today, I'm chatting with John Hetherington, or as he is affectionately known as, the Bushrat. John has seen Whistler Mountain, Blackcomb, and the village evolve over the years and from the very beginning. John lived in Tokum Corners in a very romantic and rustic old cabin beside the railroad tracks next to Alta Lake. An original ski patroller on Whistler Mountain and municipal alderman on our first council. He's got lots of stories to tell, I'm sure. God. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. It was, it, well, that whole era at the, at Tokum, you guys were so, not unique, but you were so established as kind of almost royalty at that point because you lived in a squat. Well, you wait, lived on the railroad it line. It wasn't a squat. Well, I know you rented, but it was pretty much like a squat but, but, because <laughs> it was an old cabin. It right? was definitely an old cabin. Yeah. We had the rights. I know. I know. And you paid rent, right? Or we did pay yeah. rent. And we even paid taxes. A dollar a year. Those are taxes. It was great. Oh, it was quite the place. And then the railway decided they were going to kick us all up and burp, took the place over and yeah. commit down. And that's be- the reason they did that is because they wanted to sell what's now Stonebridge. Stonebridge yeah. and get the development right. So they figured they'd suck up to the municipality by making, they could give that to Muni as a park. Yeah, I, mean, I think I remember it shaking as the train went by. No, it didn't shake no? because it was in a swamp. And oh, the swamp okay. absorbed all the... All the vibration. You couldn't talk when a train went by because it was so annoying. We were 55 feet yeah. from the yeah. center of the main line. I measured it one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there were a lot of trains back then. There's none now. Yeah, I know. That's that's such a, an iconic place. I remember the, the parties we used to have there. Mm. Benji would roll down the, he had a sheet of bed sheet between the kitchen and the oh, living room. Oh, that was a proper screen. Oh, was it a screen? Oh, it oh, was a proper okay. screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I must have been high at the time or Maybe, something. But he, no, it was a proper screen. <laughs> yeah. And he had a 16 millimeter projector. I know, and he had a project, projection room, right? Yeah. And and when he did that film of us on the patrol, which he, amazing, got all these huge avalanche pictures. Oh, yeah. We were the stars of the of the show, and it was great because we were blown up into this huge screen, and uh, it was great fun. Well, I guess for those that don't know what Tokum was all about, you know, I know it was down on the lake across the tracks at, at that little bay on the south end of the lake, but yeah. where did it get the name Tokum? I mean, corners I get because we all had to go across the, the tracks to get over to the highway to go to the... Benji was really good at coming up with names. Oh, okay. And he named. Well, it lives on in the mountain anyway. Yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) There's a run. There's a run called Tokum. Yeah. 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 Very cool. What made you stay there? Why why did you come to Whistler? And was that the first place you... No, you stayed at... at, Toad uh, Hall. Toad Hall first. It's in Sioux Valley and all that no. stuff. L- you stayed the, at the... At the original Toad Hall. The original on Needle Lake. On Needle Lake, right. yeah. Yeah, I came to Whistler in 1967, September 67, right. the year before I'd been on a ski patrol in St. Moritz in Switzerland. Ah. I graduated from uh, University of Toronto, and I got a... Through a sort of an economic student's exchange, I managed to get a job in Switzerland. Wow. Nice. And uh, out the phone elect and uh, in Solitern. That company actually made the four, the first 
transceivers for the Swiss Army, which were the first 457 transceivers. 457 hertz. The 457 hertz. Yeah, that was the the standard, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I then went to Saint Moritz, applied for a job, and at first they said, well, you got to have a a visa in German, it's an Ausweis. And I said, well, I've got one for Solitern. I had to have one in order to work in Solitern. And then I said, oh, well, we can easily switch from Canton to Canton. (laughs) (laughs) That's no problem at all. So, What were they, they, states or provinces? or uh, They're they're sort of like, in a big way, like states or American states. it was a quite a whack in them. So that was your first ski patrol job? That was my first year. Wow, you're right yeah. to the top right away. That's in Switzerland. They must have got a lot of experience and some avalanche experience. A little or? bit of avalanche experience. Yeah. I, mean, I went to the uh, mm. two or three days of instruction. Yeah. Of course, it was all in German. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my German was getting better, but it wasn't really good. And then to make up bombs, oh, you love this, they had a case of plastique that they kept under the front porch of the ski patrol shack. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> yeah, good old days. And then they, if they needed to make some bombs, a couple of the guys would bring tin cans home from, from home, wow. from their homes, and they'd stuff this plastique into it, shove a cap in, put a bunch of paper on top, and that was your bomb. It was pretty crude. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody died? No, because we didn't do it very often. <laughs> I think I think it was like two or three times we went out through bombs. Yeah. That was about it. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have much problem. They don't, yeah, it's kind of off-piste, don't care sort of thing, right? Well, and, and they didn't have much of a problem. Uh-huh. Uh, up above us was Pete's Nair, and that's where Bernie Proch worked. Oh, right. And they had more of a problem up there, but not a big one. So how come you came to be in Whistler or Alta Um, Lake back in the day? Well, when I was in St. Moritz, I met a doctor from Vancouver, Norm Gelke. Norm Gelke. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, I remember And uh, he and I skied, and and he he said, there's this place in in, uh, just north of Vancouver that just opened up the previous year. You should give it a try. Wow. And then I got back to Toronto, Expo 67. 67, Montreal. In Montreal. Yeah, yeah. So I did. And then I went to, back to Toronto, and George Benjamin told me that I'd gone to this place called Whistler, and I should think about it. And then another friend, Jay Richardson, told me about He'd been to Whistler. Well, it was Whistler. big news. I remember my mom telling me about She read it in the paper, and she said, oh, look, there's this big area going to open up. And I hadn't even heard of it, but it was in the news, right? Yeah. yeah. So I came here '67 and ski and got on the ski patrol. Well, you had all experience. <laughs> I had some experience, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you know, Huey Smythe was the head of the patrol, and and who else was on the patrol? It was pretty small, right? Four or five guys. Five of us. Yeah. Hugh, me, Derek Henderson, something Bruce, George Bruce. Oh, okay. And I got another guy named Hugh McLeod. Okay, but there's a picture of uh, of, of the patrol and um, Cliff Jennings. He was there. Yeah. Was he on the patrol or just no, he, he was just uh, he was a Packard driver. Yeah, yeah. He was the Packard driver. Yeah, yeah. The pack he had a Packer. Uh, well yeah. of sorts. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Right? But, yeah, it wasn't any blades or, or rollers even. It had days. it had small yeah. tracks and, and yeah. it wouldn't go anywhere in deep snow. Yeah, yeah. And you had deep snow, lots of it, right? Lots of snow. So where how did you find a place to live back in? Well, at first I was in the, the staff accommodations, which eventually became the ghetto. Oh, you stayed there too, eh? Yeah. yeah. 
I was working for boy, Capilano Highland. The, the road guys. No, the the real estate. Oh, oh, the real, they were doing Emerald and Alpine. Yeah, subdividing. And, uh, yeah. So I get a job somehow through Norm Patterson, and he had me clearing the lots along the Green Lake shore for him because they wanted to increase the price and they wanted to cut out all the slash. And so I was doing that for quite a while. How much worked, money were you making? Not, not much. much. Not much. A couple bucks an hour. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where were you living? At, that? Did well, you and at some point, I ended up working with a guy named Jim Burgess. And he was from Port Al he was from Alberni, city of Alberni and port of Alberni back then. Yeah. Anyway, he was quite a character. And uh, he ended up meeting this guy named Bill Rendell. And Bill Rendell had moved into Toad Hall the, the previous year. The place had been abandoned. And he moved in, kicked out most of the pack rats. And how did Toad Hall become Toad Hall? He named it Toad Hall. He named it Toad Hall. And he was a draftsman, and he was the guy who, who did the sign. Oh, okay. And it yeah. went up. And it's in the museum. It's it not? not in the museum. I'm, I think I know where it is. I'm going to have to try and get it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's... A few pictures of it somewhere. Yeah. yeah, we have quite a few pictures of it. And so, but Bill decided he wanted to move, and he asked Jim if he wanted to take over Toad Hall. And I was working with Jim. He said, you want, you want to move in? I said, sure. And then we ended up somehow working with Drew Tate in Alpine Meadows. And they were building Alpine Meadows at the time, like yeah. making the roads and water mains. So I said, well, Drew, you want to move in? He said, sure. And then he had a friend named Mike Wisnicki. Mm-hmm. And so the four, that was the four of us the first year in Toad Hall. Quite a building, still there. Still there. <laughs> I know, it's changed. It's, it's, it's a historical site. <laughs> yeah. It's changed quite a bit, but it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Basic building. Still. I remember it had a stone foundation. Yes. It was handmade. <laughs> well, I, it would, I mean, it was about, it would have supported a castle. Oh, it was it's about like, like this thick. And I remember asking somebody, and they said that these guys had, well, the guy who owned it was Gepard. Gepard. Yeah, right. Who Gepard owned the Creek. sawmill? Yeah, uh, that was uh, had been across from Token Corner. Right. Oh, okay. Just up the tracks. Yeah, yeah. and uh, apparently there were two guys working there who were Scottish stonemasons, oh. and they built all the walls for the basement. Oh man, real masons. Yeah, amazing. Well, that 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 whole time was so wild because it was really rough in that but I, there wasn't much to buy like you couldn't shop i mean really I was <laughs> no but you guys figured out how to make beer what was that called the the club the what do you call it when you make beer the zymergy club, zymergy <laughs> club. <laughs> yeah we got, were the Z- tokum zymerges yeah the zymerges and you used to have a, a competition every year yeah we had the uh, the annual homebrew contest yeah yeah, yeah. and i think we got into making beer because Rod McLeod was living at uh, Tokum and uh, he'd been working with Bill Chaplin of Chaplinville. Oh, okay. I never knew him. And uh, he was making beer. Huh? And uh, Rod said, we should, we should start now. making beer. And so <laughs> we did. <laughs> <laughs> lots of you. Lots yeah. of, and lots of beer. <laughs> yeah, I know. And good parties. But So there was at least, you know, half a dozen guys or more, maybe a dozen, eh, making beer in the oh, At least, yeah. yeah. So it, it was came. quite a party when you had your competition. Oh, yeah. Really a drinking competition. Well, yeah. Right? It's, it's, yeah, right. <laughs> so there was lots of beer. <laughs> <laughs> Too much fun, man. Oh, yeah. So back in the, in the, in the 60s, uh, in the 60s, I guess, in the, on the ski patrol, 
Were there volunteers as well? Or? Yes. So they came up the first day ski patrol did weekend, same as when yep. I joined the patrol later. Exactly. Yeah. And it snowed way more, and you oh, guys threw was, bombs. And, there were tons of snow. Yeah. And bombs in those days, Huey was the only one who knew anything about it. And we'd take some foresight, exactly. take some sticks of rock powder, yeah. tape them, bunch of them together, put a cap in them. Somehow we had managed to get caps and some tape fuse. I think we may have had pull wire igniters in those days, too. Oh, that was handy. Good. Yeah, I'll uh, say. Uh, have to light a fuse. And then we'd go out and start throwing the occasional bombs and on. And it, it wasn't like today. You'd sort of go, there was blue chair cliffs and there was the head wall off the top of the T-bar and yeah. some areas in the in what we called the back bowl in those days. Well, there was the Harmony Horseshoe. Did you act, did you, did you control that? You didn't. No. And that's where the four died. Yes. In um, 71, 72. 71 in April. Were you around? No, that was 72 in April. Okay. And I was at Todd Mountain. Oh, okay. So I wasn't around. You know, it was interesting. The story there was a couple of guys who lived at Toad Hall. Mike was Nikki, Keith Dixon, and oh, Peter Morin. They were all, they were all on patrol. Uh -huh. And they decided that they wanted to improve kind of the patrol. They wanted to get their industrial first aid, and they wanted to take some avalanche courses and, and a bunch of things, and, and they wanted to improve the avalanche situation. And the company basically said, well, we don't really have an avalanche problem here. Yeah. And they fired them, or they didn't rehire them. Wow. They didn't rehire them. Yeah. So the guys yeah. they had the next year, they were nice. They were good guys. But new avalanches but they, did. they didn't go and, and, and actively control harmony horseshoe which no. is which is really a train trap and, oh, not yeah. A, yeah. and so uh those four people were missing and the kids were at the park atop and and somehow that got dragged into it and they stopped using it as, as daycare after that avalanche because i don't know it had some kind of weird connotation oh it went on but, yeah it went on for a little while but not yeah long. but uh, anyway the kids nobody came to pick up their kids or something so they went where are these people and then they started looking and then mcconkey saw some debris from a cornice fall in the horseshoe and they said well it might be around here somewhere and then they called in the rcmp dog and uh, dale marino from kamloops came in and he found them i think yeah but i took it was a couple of days of yeah. searching oh, and there was all, kinds all over of, the mountain yeah, yeah. And there was a, there were one group accusing another group of, of being way above them and possibly starting an avalanche. And well, nobody knew anything about avalanches that or was, safety. That was a problem. <laughs> I know. It was uh, Bush League days, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I wasn't here for that, mm. but I certainly heard about it when I came back. And then I think they got Norm Wilson in to do a, an overall plan. And from California, he came up from Alpine Meadows. Exactly. And did the plan. And then uh, that opened the door for me to, to suggest the dog thing because, the, you and know. That came later. Cause yeah, that was much later after I'd gotten buried. Remember, you were there. When oh, I, I was there when you got buried. Yeah. And so I had a I had a good calling card there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, Norm kind of established a, a an avalanche control procedures procedures, yeah. and you know he had uh, zone A and zone B, and eventually we got zone C. And the year, the first year I was patrolling, I don't know if there was Monty Atwater himself or or one of his companions came up with a, with an avalanche. It was avalanche, a very yeah, yeah. early avalanche. Yeah. And it was the kind where it had a cord at the bottom and you tied the cord to the to the uh, pole wire igniter that was on the... Oh my gosh, on really? The, on the oh, explosive. Yeah. It fired, you loaded up a nitrogen and fired the thing. Yeah. And then you're supposed to whip the barrel off and see whether the explosion explosive actually had left the gun or not and oh my if it had he had 10 seconds to figure out what you're going to do about it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god see and well they perfected that a little better they but did but i tell you that first year wow we, we looked at this thing and we were terrified of it 
I guess. And so it, it went into storage for five years. Wow. Nobody wanted to use it. No, that's uh, that's terrible. Oh, I know. Terribly I remember unsafe. Smythe just going, yeah. this thing's a killer. Yeah, no kidding. So it wasn't until they, you know, redesigned the base plate and, yeah. and all of that. And you, you know, yeah, it works pretty good, I guess. I remember that day that, you know, that I got caught and we'd shot into a, into the clouds and you couldn't tell whether it had gone or not. Oh, yeah, Stefan was up on the gun. And we had this pressure to show the guys from Snowbird. And <laughs> we tromped off into the bowl and crossing a little high, I guess. And, uh, and then uh, you guys were on surprise, right? Well, yeah, it was uh, Ian Crookshank and I. And it was his first year on patrol. He and I hiked up early, earlier than you guys, left you guys down back there. At the, at the gun platform. Probably at the gun platform at the top of the T-bar. Yeah. And we hiked in, and there was so much new snow, I figured well, something's got to go. And we blew surprise, and it went. I didn't like the situation, and you guys were hiking in, and I got in to come over to where I was, because I thought I was in a relatively safe position, and you guys got most of the way up, and all of a sudden... Yeah, right under North Face there. Right yeah. North Face, and down she came. Yeah. I just remember yelling, yeah, the latch, and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember watching you, and you were kind of fighting your arm up. I had gotten rid of one ski, but not my downhill ski. I twisted out of it. Uh, and as it came to a stop, I pushed my hand up out of the snow. I remember seeing you. Yeah, and, th and then Bill Shimka came and found me and started digging me out. And he said, Bruce, the other guy's totally buried. What should I do? I said, get me the hell out of here. Well, before, before Shunky came, somebody else said, I can see his hand. What should I do about it? Oh. I said, get him out of there. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Mean, meanwhile, I had to, I'd pulled up. You had the transceiver. I had the transceiver, for, for but it was Rick. those original transceivers. Yeah. This, 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 peeps won. Yeah. And they were pretty funky. But it was better than nothing. Better than nothing. And those guys had skaties. Those guys had skating, which was right. luckily the same frequency. Yes, and yeah, that was 22, unique. Twenty-two seventy-five. Yeah. yeah, Crookshank and I started, and as wow. soon as I started searching, I took my radio and said, "Starting an avalanche search. Yeah. Oh, we got somebody buried here on uh, top of Surprise, yeah. and I'm going off radio because yeah, you had to be concentrated. Had to concentrate. Yeah, and so I went, and I could see that Ian, who was new on the patrol, he didn't. He he kind of lost the pattern of it. Oh yeah! Uh, oh my God! It's only it's up to me now. Remember how you had to do it? Yeah, zigzag. Zig yeah. Oh, and finally, I went. Fine okay, I, he's in this area here. Yeah. You'd you'd come down. Yeah, I got out. I got out and had my ski on. You had your ski. And I skied down on one ski and stopped and very gingerly and stopped and uh, and everybody said, "Well, you said I think he's in here. He's here somewhere." I think you said, and I just said, "Well, we got." I was so pumped up. Well, I, I said, you got the longest ski, Bruce. Yeah. Use it as a pro. Yeah. See yeah. if you can find this guy. Yes, yeah. And I remember the first time, no hit, and I kept searching, and I went, okay. try here, and, yeah. and you got him. Yeah, yeah. So we started digging with our hands. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and we we saved his life. It was uh, well, the other forever thing, grateful. <laughs> oh, and the other thing, yeah. face down in the snow, head up the hill. Yeah. And we got to kind of opposite where his transceiver was, which yeah. was somewhere in here. Yeah. And we could see that the back of his neck was blue. Yeah. So it, it wasn't meant he wasn't breathing. And I figured, you got the longest arms. Bruce, get your hands in there yeah. and dig I, the snow I out took of his, his mouth. I took his toque off, and he had blonde hair, so you could really see his whole head was blue. Mm -hmm. And then I scooped the snow out of his mouth, and as Remember soon as that? I did, he would... <laughs> 
And then he and started we, to go pink. We were yelling. Remember, we were telling his partner, Eric, yell his name. Yeah. What, what was the guy's name? We didn't even really know him that well. Yell, yell, Rick, Rick, are you there? Yeah. Stay there, buddy. You know, and then all he did, he kind of remembered that. And then, boom, he said he saw all these colored lights in a kaleidoscope or something, <laughs> thought he was dead. And then, he, and then all of a sudden he was alive. But, uh, yeah, that was quite a, quite an event. Oh, yeah. I remember him saying that he, he figured he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to survive and he was ready to cash in game two. Yeah, he sure did. And then Stefan and, I don't know. Eric, his the partner. Yeah, well, Stefan and, yeah. and who was ever there on the gun with him, uh, Fenwick, I think, came in with the big shovel. Oh, yeah. We are avalanche. Big, <laughs> big, big, long probes and big bloody grain shovels. The grain shovels. Yeah. And we started digging and, and you, you could dig for about 20 seconds and oh, then you had to pass. It so off. heavy. But I remember it took us. Took a while to get him out. Took us about a half an hour to get him out because he yeah. had skis and his poles out like this. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, helicopter came in. And yeah, and, and turns away. Uh, what was it? Jeff Boyd was the doctor. Said we yeah. better send him to the clinic and just make sure he's okay. Yeah, but yeah. That I was think. quite the event, and then it was written up in the Whistler question, first page. And oh yeah, no, it was a, it was it was a big, big deal. deal. It, it was a, all word of mouth, and there was no. I mean, there was very few radios, and there was no cell phones, and it went through town like wildfire. But it made it, it made everybody wake up. Even if you've got rescue gear and you've got, we we have to carry that stuff. Yeah, that was the first time <laughs> we just like, should yeah. we really? So, yeah, shovel. so we got probes and shovels after that, right? <laughs> you don't get the get the safety going. And then Chris Chris said, You better, you know, why don't you think about getting a dog? Because that's another fail safe idea. And I went, I like that idea. So yeah, that's, you got that's into where the that dog started. Dude. So that you know, that was that was awesome times. We were lucky to be alive though. I mean I mean there's so many times we'd get buried on. Remember we'd go up and do the safe route and I'd be trudging <laughs> up there and you'd be behind me and you'd say, Make the step smaller. Yeah, you got those darn long legs <laughs> and I couldn't follow his face. <laughs> so we'd be up there and it'd be a blinding snowstorm. You wouldn't see the edge of the cornice. We'd have a pack full of bombs and we'd be going, oh man, what do we do? Well, let's get rid of these bombs. Throw <laughs> yeah. them over the edge. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to drag them back up the blue chair, yeah, so let's yeah. get Throw them all. <laughs> but yeah, somehow we survived. We made it. Yeah. yeah. What good times oh, and you remember, was. you know, and you guys were on gun one, you know, to shoot. Uh, yeah, over the front. Over the front. This gun two at the top of the T-bar. Mm -hmm. Fenwick and I built the, built the, uh, the hut up there. That where? It, uh, for gun two. The gun two. It's yeah. still there. For, I know it's uh, still yeah. there. We had to hike up to the top of the shell slope and shoot bomb yeah. surprise and bomb, bomb the shell slope. Yeah. And then some shoot gun three, shoot gun three, and yeah. that was a miserable occupation. You were so cold by the time you were up there. Yeah, but you got a good skiing on the way down. <laughs> if your feet would have blue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I, yeah. I think we must have skied more first oh. in deep powder on the shell swell than anybody since then. That, I've got that picture that Speedy took, and I should get it re reproduced, but it's the whole patrol just coming down and, 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 and wasting the, the shell slope. It's an iconic shot. Thank you for listening today. Join us on my next episode of Whistler Stories That Need to Be Told and hear more from John Hetherington. Please share and let me know what you think of my podcast. Bye for now. It's just mind-boggling.